From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to the Oxford Exxon Podcast. It is Wednesday, June the 10th. Hope you all are uh, having a nice hump day here on Wednesday. Another podcast coming your way tomorrow night. We'll have our live show like we usually do on Thursdays. Don't know the time on that. We'll get that to you at rebelgrove.com on our social media outlets as well. On today's show, Ryan Brown, WJOX in Birmingham, uh, will join it. We'll talk a lot of college football he and I both very optimistic about the return of college football, given the uh, coronavirus numbers that are out there. Everything pointing towards a uh, on-time start to college football. Frankly, everything pointing towards capacity stadiums. Um, probably a little premature to say that, but everything's pointing in that direction. So we'll talk to Ryan. We'll also talk to Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 ESPN in Memphis, uh, the producer of the Jeff Calkins Show and the host of the Jeffrey and Giannato show on 92.9 in Memphis. We'll talk uh, NBA. The playoffs uh, begin in August. The season begins or resumes, I should say, July the 31st in Orlando. We'll get his thoughts on what that looks like for the Grizzlies. We'll talk a little college football with him. There is some progress, uh, very minute progress, but progress nonetheless. Excuse me, between the owners and the Players Association and Major League Baseball. I'll talk to Ryan and Jeffrey a little bit about that as well. Before we get into uh, the meat of the show, let me tell you about the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Uh, been with us for a long time. What we suggest that you do is uh, download that Speed Pass Plus app. You'll love it. It lets you uh, have touchless fill-up of your uh, gas there at the Oxford Exxon. You can go inside. They've got ribs, plate lunches. They've got a great beer selection, sodas, daiquiris. You name it. They've got it the Oxford Exxon. Great to us. Make it a part of your uh, trip in and out of Oxford. And for goodness sake, if you live around Oxford, you need to make it a, a staple of, uh, of your day and certainly the place where you go to fill up your tank there at the Oxford Exxon. It's right next door to the Oxford Crystal where you can fill up your other tank. It's open all day, uh, open drive through and delivery, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Waiter, DoorDash. Uh, they've got the Hangover Crystal, all day long, $1.69 bacon, egg, and cheese crystal with the fresh cracked eggs. It's available all day, like I said. They also have the new peach slushy, the new banana pudding shake. They've got the fresh cracked egg biscuits, bacon, egg, and cheese, sausage, egg, and cheese, and the scrambler breakfast bowls. And you also can get the pick five for five fifty-five, and that includes the new Nashville hot chick with 100% all white meat chicken breast there at the Oxford Crystal next door to the Oxford Exxon. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900's that number. Call it, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours, right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle, you get your quote, and the rest is up to you. 
Uh, you can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I suggest you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the product. You'll love the service after the sale. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662-257-1900. Guests join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters on the Water is open. It's located at the Sardis uh, Marina. Come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers. Louisiana-style po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. Wednesday through Thursdays, 3.30 to 10. Friday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 10. They have a newly expanded picnic-style dining area. Signature appetizers including Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls. They have live music on the weekends as well. It's awesome. You'll love it. You uh, just go have a great time. Enjoy the fun cocktails, including their famous house frozen margaritas. If you're not quite comfortable or you're in a hurry, to-go is available. Curbside pickup is available. 662-712-6162. Our friends at Blue Delta Jeans are very pleased to announce the Blue Delta Studios open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 6. If you have jeans to pick up or if you're ready to get measured for your own pair of Blue Delta Jeans, don't hesitate to uh, drop by or reach out to Blue Delta to schedule an appointment. And while you're in, don't forget to check out Blue Delta's new line of Georgia milled duck canvas fabrics. Strong and durable. These are the ultimate made-to-last pants. It's info at bluedeltajeans.com. On social media at Blue Delta Jeans, whichever way is easier for you, give the Blue Delta Jeans team a shout, and they'll be glad to see you. So on rebelgrove.com today, we have uh, my... Mailbag will be up probably by the time you hear this. At some point Wednesday morning, the mailbag is sponsored by Whitney McNutt of uh, Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, 662-567-2573, We'll have recruiting coverage to you today. I believe, barring a change, I expect recruiting news at some point during the day anticipate some football news as well or at least an update from Ole Miss football you can catch all of that at rebelgrove.com it's part of the rivals network if you're not subscribed you should subscribe it's uh less than nine dollars a month on an annual subscription less than ten dollars a month on a monthly subscription it's a great deal we have content throughout even the pandemic and once the pandemic is over and the season begins we're going to have a lot of coverage brought to you all the time, a lot of specials information to you, a lot of uh, baseball coverage from uh, Chase Parham today with the Major League Baseball draft. That's on the message board. You have to be a subscriber to get it. I suggest you subscribe. Major League Baseball draft tonight begins 5, 6 o'clock. I'm not sure. It's on ESPN, MLB Network. Uh, it's just five rounds, so uh, Ole Miss obviously watching to see what happens with Tyler Keenum, with Anthony Servideo. There's a lot there, and we'll have it all for you at rebelgrove.com now to the rafters music and food hotline and ryan brown of wjox in birmingham my friend ryan brown wjox in birmingham kind enough uh, to spend some time with us here today we're taping this on a tuesday afternoon ryan i've learned to make sure i say that because it's 2020 and there's always a catastrophe right around the corner Ah, so (laughs) by the time you hear this on wednesday the world may have blown up and we just didn't see it coming uh between june the 9th and june the 10th but Shame on us. Uh, how you been? 
Yeah, I've been good. Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, a year to forgive, but uh, made as much as I can of it, and we're healthy and still working, so that's a plus. You and I were talking about this a little bit just then before we got started. I've just made myself just get up and go every day. I, I've quit thinking about all the stuff. I've quit worrying about is there going to be a season? Is there going to be this? Is there going to be that? I just kind of have I have I feel like I've sort of mastered the art of just one foot in front of the next. Yeah, um, it's kind of the it's kind of the way you have to live, though, right? Um, and you know, I don't want to get too deep on this, but it's just kind of the way I live my life. I, I try not to worry about things. I mean, worrying really isn't going to change anything. So. Why worry? Is there going to be season? Is there not going to be a season? I just said, look, I think there's going to be a season, and if there's not one, there's not one. I mean, I, me waking up every morning worrying about it is not going to change whether it's going to happen or not. So, um, and, and me worrying whether or not I'm going to catch COVID-19 is not going to change if I'm going to catch it or not. So, I'm just not really worried about those kinds of things. That's the way I try to live my life in all aspects, and certainly this has been a, a great test of that over the last few months. Yeah, I always admired people like you who've been super positive. I've gotten – it's funny, since this thing started over the course of the last three months, I've gone – I've become a much more positive person. I, I, I don't really know why. I've had people go, man, I bet this has been really hard for you. And I'm like, no, not really. And people are, are – they say, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but professionally I have enjoyed the challenge of the last three months. Does, yeah. that, does that make sense? I, I, it is. It has been completely different than what I was prepared for. I was prepared for the spring football and this recruiting rush with Lane Kiffin, and you know we'd have a college baseball season. I guess this would be the start of the College World Series this week. Would have been Ole Miss was one of those teams that probably had a chance to get there. So this week would have been either talking about they made it or oh they didn't, and do we fire the coach and all those things. I'm used to that stuff, and I can do that stuff, and, and it's fine. Don't get me wrong. I make a living off of it in much the same way you do talking about Alabama and Auburn and LSU and the SEC and whatnot. But this made people like me and you improvise. It made us dig deeper into our playbook. It made us come up with some new things. And at first it was a little scary, and then after a while it was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I wouldn't want to do it every year. Don't get me wrong. But it's been kind of fun. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, on our show, really the most fun I have a lot of times is in the summer because in, in football season, while that is exciting and fun and I love football season, there, you know, there is this expectation that we spend the vast majority of our show talking college football. And that's great. We love doing that. But in the summer, uh, our listeners kind of are like us. They they don't mind us getting off in some of the goofy stuff. And I enjoy doing that as much as I do talking sports, a lot of times more so. And this time, it's forced us to do more of that. So in a sense, I've kind of enjoyed it. I'm like you. I wouldn't want it every year unless I knew for certain that football was on the other side of it. The unknown of what's on the other side does affect that a little bit. But uh, it, it's not been as bad as I thought. You know, going into it, I thought, boy, there'll be days where there is just nothing to talk about. We've not really done that. I mean, we've, we've never really run into that yet. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I, I am too. So I think there is going to be a football season. 
I didn't always think there was going to be a football season. I thought for the longest time that it would start late. I even thought at one point it might not start until the spring. For the longest time, I thought it would start around October 1st, That roughly that weekend. I don't know the exact date, what the first Saturday of October is, but I thought around then, give or take a week. Ryan, I now think the season's going to start on time. I think the season's going to be uh, essentially played in full. And if you told me that these stadiums were full or close to full starting at the very beginning, I would believe it. I don't know that it's going to be a normal season because, in fact, I don't think it's going to be a normal season for media. But I got to tell you, I think for coaches and players and fans and stuff, I think it's going to be a lot more normal than we thought it was going to be. Um, for the first time, I've had an athletic director of a FBS school, and I will say up front, it was not Greg Berner, Alan Green at Alabama or But I have had an athletics director tell me he now believes that they will start the season with 100% capacity available. I'm not saying he's telling me he thinks he'll have a full stadium, but he thinks that whatever seats make up that stadium will all be available to him. Uh, that's the first time I've heard an athletic director say that. And, you know, I tend to believe it. I, I, I kind of agree with him. I agree with what you're saying there. Is more and more of this has unfolded. I think we have seen that for those that aren't old, aren't immunocompromised, going to a stadium in a large crowd isn't particularly dangerous. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, the world, as we record this, I'm glad you said it is Tuesday because I've noticed these <laughs> things change. change quickly. But the World Health Organization has just said, and now there has been some debate about what they meant by this, that asymptomatic people aren't as contagious. Basically, if you're not coughing and sneezing, you're probably not very contagious with this. So to me, that's very coughing and sneezing. There's really no reason for me to go out wearing a mask. There's no reason for me, if, if this is true, there's no reason for me not to go to a football game, even if there are 100,000 people there. So to me, that's a step towards full attendance. And um, I, I think that's where we'll be. I really do. In September, I think we'll be there. You know, I've said this for a while, and people have gotten – different people get different ways about it. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and go all Adam Carolla on people, though I listened to Carolla today in his conversation with Mark Garagos on Unreasonable Doubt where they were discussing some of the coverage of uh, the coronavirus as it pertains to the protests that have been going on throughout the country in the wake of uh, the George Floyd murder and – all of the things that have happened around the country. And the, the part that is not deniable to me that is interesting, and it has to be interesting. Listen, if you're an, a, an AD like the one that you just referenced, and I've talked to a couple of ADs as well, if you're an AD, unless you're a school president, if you're in the medical community, though nobody wanted the protest to happen, certainly nobody wanted anyone to lose his life, Nope, nobody wanted all of the property damage that's happened, all of the things that have happened across the country. But what you can't get away from is these pictures, right, of these massive crowds in New York and Washington and Philadelphia and Dallas and Atlanta and Houston and Denver and Los Angeles. And I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of cities. There were 3,000 people in Oxford a, a week ago, pretty tightly packed together. 
and I'm sure that I know there were, there was a, a protest. It was peaceful in Auburn. And there may have been one in Tuscaloosa. I know there were some protests in Birmingham that, that got out of hand. But there were large groups of people. You can't avoid the vision of, hey, there are all these people here in one large group. If there's not this massive spike that comes from that, what is the difference between 100,000 people gathering in a town square and 70,000 people gathering in a football stadium? Yeah, and you know, and I will say at the outset of my answer here, so this is not misconstrued, you will not find a bigger fan of peaceful protest than me. It's what our country was built on. I mean, without protest, that actually, before our country started, sometimes we're not entirely peaceful. Um, I, I don't think storming a ship and throwing tea in the harbor was considered peaceful. But those are the types of protest that, that our country was built on. So I am a fan of it when I see... Whatever it was, it looked like two hundred thousand people in Philadelphia protesting. Yeah, as long as, as, long as it's peaceful and they're, I am, I love it. I am a fan of them protesting. Sure, but with that disclaimer, if there is not a COVID nineteen spike in Philadelphia, don't come selling me that you can't have two hundred thousand people at a, or a hundred thousand people at a football game. There's really no difference. In that aspect, obviously, there's a difference in a protest and a football game. I understand that, but but the numbers the aspect, are the numbers. The numbers yeah, are the numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, the virus doesn't know that it's a protest over civil rights, which is far more important than a football game. The virus knows no difference. So, so don't 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 tell me that if there's not a spike there, that that's not an indication that hey, maybe we can get some crowds together and everything is actually going to be okay. I'm putting you on the spot here. You know a lot of media people. I know a lot of media people. Why do you think that concept is so hard for some of our colleagues in the media to embrace? I really don't know. Um, you know, part of me thinks there is obviously an ideological battle here. I think in anything there is. Um, you know, I, I think also, depending on where you live, like if you live in New York, I'm sure this looks terribly different than Oxford, Mississippi, or Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. Um, you know, if you live in, you know, cities where it has, or, or, or for instance, if you live in California where it hasn't been particularly bad, but you've been locked down for two months and haven't been able to do anything, I'm sure this feels different. So, you know, New York is where most of the news originates, and I'm sure it has had a different feeling in New York. The deaths have been higher. The lockdown has been longer. Um, the numbers have been out of whack. Uh, and and I, I think in large part, our news is shaped by New York City. If it happens in New York, it's big-time news. And that really doesn't filter to Birmingham and Oxford all that much. So I do think there is part of that. The one thing that has surprised me, whether intended or not, there are an awful lot of people in the sports media industry who themselves cover college football who may have good reason to do this. I'm not saying they don't have good reason. But it seems as though a lot of those people are pulling, actually pulling against the college football season happening. And I really don't understand that because, to me, the college football season happening indicates that things have gone much better than we had ever dreamed at the outset of this. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting and understand your market a leader in condo financing in Oxford, and the float-down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate, 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford. Also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. 
Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tip Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662 767 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I don't understand it. I mean, I truly yeah. I, tr- I truly don't get it. It's uh, if, if I told somebody in April, there's going to be a college football season. It's going to be played on time. Fans are going to be able to attend. There's going to be an NFL season. It's going to begin on time. Fans are going to be able to attend across the country. They're going to be able to attend in, at, in Tuscaloosa. They're going to be able to attend in Clemson, South Carolina. They're going to be able to, able to attend in Iowa City, Iowa. They're going to be able to attend in Boulder, Colorado, Tempe, Arizona. From a country standpoint, I would have said hallelujah at that yeah, point, absolutely. right? And, yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 I mean, forget who wins and loses. We get a season in? And everybody goes, well, I mean, even beyond, oh, the schools get their TV money and all of that stuff, beyond all of that stuff, what you would have, that would mean that, okay, God, the virus was not as bad as we thought it was going to be, or it was seasonal, the heat burned it off, whatever it would be, it would be a, a cause for rejoicing. And instead, what we've gotten is over the course of the last week, as uh, student athletes have reported to schools across the country, and at you know Ole Miss, they had two positive cases out of all the two hundred and fifty some odd tests that they did. One administrator, uh, and then one uh, one player. I'm not sure what sport. I suspect it was football. They didn't specify. At Alabama, uh, there were I think five football players. Alabama didn't confirm yeah. that, but nobody's denied it. Uh, Auburn had I think three. 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 J. Tate had yeah. that story. Three. Three. Uh, Arkansas State had seven. I think Ar- University of Arkansas had a couple. Uh, saw where Florida basically had none. Uh, this is good news that the the yeah. n- the numbers are so low and that now you can control it. And instead, every time that there's a a story that says, "Hey, you know, uh, University of." Georgia had two positive tests. It's oh god, oh man, boy, I tell you, it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah, I don't understand it. Yeah, there was a um, member of the media here in this state that the day the Alabama story came out, and it was in the middle, obviously, of the protests where the you know there was a lot going on. 
and the the headline of the tweet was or the tweet was if you think things couldn't get any crazier or worse they do and the tweet that was being retweeted was that five Alabama players tested positive and I'm like you got to be kidding me how is this anything but a positive you've got and I don't know how many tests were run. You said 250 at Ole Miss. I'm just assuming the Alabama football program, you probably tested somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 180 people and five tested positive. And, oh, by the way, every last one of them was asymptomatic. No clue they had it. No clue. Um, I mean, to me, that's as big a victory as you could have. Who thought that 180 people were coming from all over the country, really, back to campus, and you were only going to have five test positive? I mean, that I don't, I don't know how it could have gone any better. Because here's the thing, Neil, trust this. If the story had been zero Alabama players and administrators test positive, the reaction would have been, that is false, they're lying, they're covering up positive tests. Yeah. I mean, the fact, the fact that it was five, A, shows you Alabama was being truthful and, well, I, I take that back. The reports are true. Alabama didn't confirm it, as you said. Uh, the fact that it was three shows you Auburn was being truthful about it to me. I, I just I don't I don't get it. To me, it's about as positive as it could have gone. Yeah, I talked to someone at Ole Miss who said, "Yeah, you know, the state average at times has been almost eight percent, and that they were told by people at UMMC, which is the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, which helped them administer all the tests and the antibody tests and all that stuff. They were told, hey, you know, expect as high as ten percent positive.' Yeah, that's what and you that's horrible. that's yeah. what you should prepare for. And instead, they got what is two out of 250? I mean, it's it's, it's it's less than 1%. Yeah, less than 1%. If we could do that across the nation, this thing would be gone. I mean, I, I think college football should be the model. However, college football has handled it to this point should be the model for the nation. It's less than 1%. If we could test that way across the nation, this would be amazing. How big of a topic is it on your on your radio show? I know you guys talk about it. You get I know you don't take calls and stuff, but you get feedback from listeners like we all do via social media and that kind of thing. How much do they want to talk about the COVID aspect of this summer, and how much do they just want you to talk about it like it's a normal football season? I, a little bit of both, primarily the normal football season. I, I think a lot of people, you know, they've got questions like, and and I don't know the answers to this, but you know, what happens if a guy tests positive in season? Um, you know, or what happens, you know, if you've played a guy that been test positive, then you don't know the answer to those. And I don't think it does any good to speculate, but, uh, primarily, I, I think a lot of people, at least here in Birmingham have moved on to assuming there's going to be a season. And now we're breaking down, you know, can Bryce Young, the freshman quarterback at Alabama still win the job over Mac Jones with the limited time he's going to have now. So, uh, or, or you know, who's gonna who's gonna be the running back at Auburn? They don't have a leading returning, you know, their leading returning rusher has a few hundred yards, you know. So I, I think we've kind of moved on to that in this thing. I, th- I think the vast majority of fans and listeners assume there's going to be a game. It's now, you know, let's just let's talk about it like like we do leading up to every season. I don't know if you saw Ross Dellinger's latest story in Sports Illustrated. I thought there was something not funny. Funny is not the right word, but it intrigued me. It was, he he referenced. The NBA getting started at the end of July at in Orlando with no crowds, which strikes me as so odd that, that no one's going to be allowed in the arena to watch an NBA yeah. game. But less yeah. less than a mile away, hundreds of thousands of people will be packed into Disney World. Uh, it, it it makes no it's it, it's senseless. But regardless, he talked about how there were older coaches in the in the NBA. Uh, he referenced uh, Greg Popovich 
of the San Antonio Spurs, guys who are 65 and older, and they might not be allowed to be right there on their bench. And if they are, they're going to have to wear a mask, et cetera, et cetera. And he's quoted someone, uh, maybe maybe Todd Barry, about, hey, that might be the case with college coaches, the older coaches. And he referenced uh, Mac Brown, who's 68, and Nick Saban, who is also 68. There's not a chance in hell Nick Saban's wearing a mask on the sideline in the fall, right? You, you could tell Nick Saban, Nick, listen, you're 68. <laughs> you're in the high-risk category. We need you to sit this one out. And I, I, the the reaction would peel paint off the walls. Uh, I, I firmly believe, and Nick Saban isn't alone, these college coaches are cut from a different cloth, man. I firmly believe these college coaches are willing to roll the dice. If indeed they are at a higher risk than the normal public, they are willing to roll the dice to coach football. These guys, it's an addiction. Coaching football on the collegiate level is an addiction. The only way you can do it is you have to be addicted to it because the hours are miserable. You never see your family. You work your tail off. You don't sleep. You barely eat. Uh, it's not a normal life. It is not a normal life. You have to be addicted to do this. These guys are addicted. There's no chance they're not coaching or wearing a mask to coach. No chance. You mentioned Alabama's quarterback situation. <laughs> Who is Alabama's quarterback in September? I still think it'll be Mac Jones. Um, look, I, I, if you go look at what now, to do what I'm about to say, you're going to have to flush two pick sixes in the Iron Bowl. That's going to be hard to forget, right? Those were those were critical plays that cost Alabama the game, no doubt. But if you can look past two pick sixes in the Iron Bowl, Mac Jones had four starts. And one of them was at home against Arkansas, so you got a home start against the conference opponent. One of them was a home start against Western Carolina, so a nothing opponent. One was a road start at Auburn, difficult environment, huge rivalry game. And one was a neutral side against Michigan. So you actually have a really good um, – you, you've got a really good sample size of what Mac Jones is. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but his numbers, his combined numbers in those games were really, really good. And if you take those numbers and – you know, multiply them as four games, so multiply them by three, his 12-game average would be exceptional, um, barely missing a beat from Tua Tagovailoa. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that means he can automatically do that, but he's going to have great weapons around him. Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are first-round NFL wide receivers. Najee Harris is coming back. He's a first-round running back talent, but you may or may not have a running back go in the first round of the NFL draft. That's a different story, but He's got a tremendous offensive line in front of him. He's got every opportunity to be tremendous. I think, look, if Bryce Young had had spring, maybe he wins the job. Maybe he'll eventually take it. But I think I'm a little bit higher on Mac Jones than almost anyone. I think not only will he win the job, I think he holds it all year. We've talked a lot here about how the loss of a spring impacts uh, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, how much it impacts Mike Leach at, at, at Mississippi State, two coaches that are putting in completely different systems. It's it's having I'm sure it's having an impact on what Sam Pittman's trying to do at Arkansas, what Elijah Drinkwitz is trying to do at Missouri, but I just haven't gotten as as in depth on those situations. What about programs like Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Texas A and M in the West? They they've got established programs, but you're still having to replace a lot of talent, especially LSU. This gets just glossed yeah. over. LSU lost everybody. I mean they. LSU won everything last year and then lost everybody that won everything. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, I, a totally different deal. I mean, there's a, there's a transition there as well that got lost, right? Yeah, I mean, I think LSU is a fascinating story. Only have, I mean, look, 
even in the best case for LSU, they still host Texas. Uh, they still go to uh, Auburn. They still host Alabama, a team that they've beaten once since 2011. Haven't beaten in Baton Rouge since 2010. Um, that was going to be difficult even in the best of circumstances. And as you just pointed out, not only do you lose the first overall draft pick and, and Joe Burrow, you lose a bunch of other talented guys. You lose Joe Brady, who is maybe the best assistant coach they've ever had, a guy that was a hero in that state. And it made a lot of people forget you also lose Dave Aranda. I mean, this is a total, almost a total gut job and rebuild as much as you ever get at the major collegiate level. And I, I do think not having a spring really, really, really will hamper them. And uh, I almost, I don't quite put them, obviously, in the Missouri or Arkansas or Ole Miss or Mississippi State category where you've replaced a head coach. But I think they're on that next tier of there were so many replacements Getting it right is going to be a huge challenge for them. Yeah, I do too. And they, and they lose analysts on both sides, which yeah, I know people gloss over that. But, you know, to to Ed Orgeron's credit, he pretty much allowed Joe Brady to do what he wanted to do. He allowed Dave Aranda to completely do what he wanted to do. He gave him autonomy to hire some people. And those people left with Aranda to go to Baylor. It's a completely new coaching staff really and then they lost dudes off that team that team that team was oh, yeah. some, that team was something else and I, I, it's you know and then Orgeron's had stuff that happened in his personal life I mean I just don't think anybody really knows what to expect there um you, you talked about Auburn uh, I know Nix is back Kellen Mond is back at A&M both of those guys were I don't know kind of pedestrian last year it's still Alabama's division to win, even though they didn't win it a year ago, right? I think they're the best team in it. Um, I do like Bo Nix. Uh, I thought in a lot of places he was really – well, he was very good. Um, there were times where he looked like a freshman, honestly. Uh, he didn't really cost them games. Um, but, you know, I think the big concern as it relates to Bo Nix is really what's around him. Uh, you, 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 you lose Booby Whitlow, he transfers the – it would have been the leading returning rusher. The offensive line, basically tackle to tackle, is going to be brand new. You for Seth Williams, but you don't have anybody proven yet that can complement him um, and take coverage, you know, away from him. I, it, you know, my concern with Bo Nix is less about Bo Nix and more about what is is not around him right now that is at least proven. They've got you know talented guys they've recruited, but nothing proven there. So I think that's the story of Bo Nix is. The guys that he's going to have to depend on really pretty early on because they play North Carolina and Atlanta in, in week two. That's a tougher than tougher game than it looked a year ago for sure. So I, I think that's the big thing about Bo Nix right now. We've talked about whenever I've gotten you on, we've talked about Dabo Sweeney a lot on this podcast. You've always yeah. been pretty insightful about Dabo. There's always been talk about Dabo could potentially be the guy that replaces Nick Saban one day. Obviously, he's an Alabama guy. He's from Birmingham. He played at Alabama. He's I had an incredible amount of success at Clemson. And yet this has not been the best month or so for Clemson and Dabo Swinney. There's been some stuff in the news with, I guess, Danny Pierman and and now with uh, with Swinney. And he put out a big statement that said a whole lot of nothing and kind of made me wonder why would you put that out if you're not going to say anything. Um, 
I know it's not going to cancel him, but we do sort of live in this cancel culture right now where people are, are definitely trying to cancel people. How much has this hurt, if at all, Sweeney, just in terms of his his legacy, his reputation, his whether you know Alabama would want him down the road, all of that stuff? You know, I, I think it has hurt him in the national view more so than the local view. You know, I think nationally a lot of people – you know, look at Dabo and say, you're, you're a guy that you want to be upfront. You want to talk about a lot of things. You know, you've got your message. You, you talk about your faith a lot. And then here's an assistant coach that's been with you for 30 years that is accused of something very serious. And it takes you almost a week to even respond to it. And, um, you know, that that's, that's for a lot of people. And, and I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation to say, Dabo, this is a guy that's been with you this long, out of fairness to him and out of fairness to the player involved and the whole program, this is something you need to get out in front of. This is something you need to comment on very quickly. And I think that's a reasonable expectation of Dabo Sweeney. And, you know, he didn't do that. But I, I think that was something more nationally. I think people here know Dabo. And, you know, to, to, to kind of bigger picture this, uh, and, you know, Bamani Jones, I know, you know, he's very outspoken. People like him. They dislike him, whatever. I thought he made an excellent point about Dabo Sweeney, and he's, he was critical of him not coming out early on the Danny Pierman situation. But Bomani Jones said of Dabo Sweeney, you know, he thinks he's the greatest country in the world, and you can't blame him because he's right. And what other country could his story happen? I mean, a guy that, you know, grew up without a dad, his dad checked out on him, you know, he's so poor in college, uh, his family's so poor, his mom has to come live with him in college. He's a walk-on at Alabama. Against all odds, he earns a spot on the team, gets a little bit of playing time, wins a national championship, you know, is in a, happens to get an assistant coaching job there at Alabama because the coaches like him, loses that job because the head coach was an idiot, goes into real estate, somehow gets another assistant coaching job out of the corporate real estate business, becomes an interim coach set up to fail, somehow manages to succeed. The success wanes, somehow manages to keep his head coaching job against all odds, and then wins multiple national championships. And, and what Bomani Jones has said, I don't blame Davos 21 bit for thinking that makes America the greatest country in the world. Yeah. Because it's the only place that could happen. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, Local people here get see that and get that and see, you know, that's the Davos Swinney story. It's nothing new to us. It's new to the world. It's nothing new to people in Alabama. They knew the story, right? They saw this happen with their own two eyes. So I think as all this stuff happens nationally to Dabo, it, it really doesn't affect the way he's viewed here. Now, that said, I've never thought he would be the head coach at Alabama one day. I, I just don't think it's going to time out right. I don't, think, I, I don't think he would want to be the guy to replace Nick Saban. That is such a difficult spot. And I just don't think the timing is going to work out to be the guy that replaces the guy. And I've just never, I've never really felt like he would be the guy at Alabama. I just think that ship sailed a long time ago, and he he never caught the ship. My money is on Mario Cristobal to be that guy. Yeah, um, I think as he succeeds at Oregon, and as he makes Oregon look more like an SEC squad, which he has done. You know, the way he's recruited in Oregon and the way they play, they look like a West Coast SEC team. That will help him. Had he gone out there and been Chip Kelly 2.0, I don't think Alabama fans would have had an appetite for that. So as he continues to do that and recruit the way he recruits, yeah, I think he would be a very popular candidate, especially with his ties to Tuscaloosa. Um, 
It's a difficult question to answer. In a, in a sense, you would think it'd be easy because the line would start at the door. But, you know, it, it will take a special person to be Nick Saban's replacement. And those guys just don't appear to be out there right now. A lot of people would say Jeremy Pruitt, um, if he's successful at Tennessee, you know, with the old mama call, you know, like Bryant did, would he leave a SEC program to come to another one? Yes. Um, yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think, I think he could do that. I think that would be a, a legitimate candidate. All right, last couple of things. One is yeah. uh, absolutely superfluous. The SEC is the only league that has yet to cancel media days. Do you think they're actually considering having media days, or do you think it's just putting it off? Um, I think they're putting it off. So we're about a month out right now. Um, this, you know, you, I don't know. I was going to say, <laughs> could you do, I mean, I was just trying to figure out a way you could do a stripped down in person version, maybe no radio row, because that is tight quarters there. Um, space out the media. I, I don't know. Um, It'd be too hot to do just, it outdoors. You couldn't do it outdoors. It's just too hot. No way. No way could you do that. Uh, and you really can't limit media. That's kind of defeating the purpose. You can't just say, all right, we're going to limit it to these 100 writers and these 20 TV guys and these 20 radio guys. I mean, that's just kind of defeating the purpose of even doing it if you do that. So um, that's a tough one. I think maybe they're just putting it off. It's it's unlikely to me that it will. I, there'll be an event. I just don't think it'll be an in-person event. I think maybe it'll be a virtual event. Uh, yeah, as we, uh, I'm reading from a site that I, I look at a lot. Uh, this is Ethical Skeptic on Twitter. I don't know if you pay attention to him. He says, wow. Yeah, not- I've seen you retweet that. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting Twitter follow. Uh, he says, wow, not a good Tuesday at all for panic promotion. 12% more tests than last Tuesday and 2% lower cases, despite last Tuesday reflecting a holiday. Three more states departed their slight upward trend. Only two left, 3.9% positive after the numbers are corrected for backlogging. I mean, that's fantastic news. It is fantastic news. If I had told anybody in this world that we would have those types of numbers in June, you would have kissed me on the mouth. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just I don't know how it can be viewed as anything other than with, with respect to the many who have died. And that is very sad. This thing has gone infinitely better than anyone ever imagined. Okay, last thing. Uh, we'll, sw- we'll switch to baseball, and I'm not keeping you but one or two more minutes, I promise. Uh, one of the things that has frustrated me the most with this baseball negotiation is the insistence that the games will be played with no fans. Yeah. Uh, I-, I don't understand it. We're now arguing about over $4 million or so per team in Major League Baseball. Um, if you played with fans, you could close that gap almost instantly and then go past it. Regardless, for whatever reason, I think it's political correctness. I think it is fear. I think it's all of those things. No one's willing to talk about that publicly, so I'll ask you this as we finish up. The last time there was a Major League Baseball game, not counting spring training, your Washington Nationals were winning Game 7 of the World Series in Houston against the Astros. Is there a champion crowned in 2020, or do we wait for 21 because there's no season? I think we wait for 21. I've become increasingly, I'm an optimistic guy. I've become increasingly pessimistic about baseball. And I, I just cannot believe with the climate we are in that the owners and players are going to let this happen. And the NBA is going to get back on the court. The NFL and college football are going to play. MLS is going to play. NASCAR is running races. PGA Tour is cranking back up. And baseball, not because of the virus, but because of money, will not agree. And I see 
I don't think the players are innocent here at all. But I see their side of this argument, Neil. The players have said, look, every time there's a, a CBA negotiation, we ask you to open the books and show us your profit, and we want to share in those profits, and you say no. And now the one time there's a loss, you say, hey, we need to share in the loss. If you don't want us to share in the profits, don't ask us to share in the loss. Yep. And I get that. I really do. I that do makes too. sense. And and I think the owners, you know, the players have said, okay, we'll take 50%. The owners have said, well, how about 30%? And the players say, okay, all right, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take this. And the owners say, okay, well, we'll give you that number, but here's more games to play for that number. It, it's as if the owners don't want this to happen. And I think the players want it to happen, but they just want it to happen at a higher number dollar and cent wise. So I, I just, I mean, at some point, you know, you're going to cross a line where, you can't even really, even if you decide to do it, you can't pull it off. I mean, if this thing, if you can't start by July 4th, I don't even know why you try it. And we're June, what is today, the 8th or 9th? Today is the 9th. The earliest I was told today, I talked to someone in baseball circles today who said the absolute earliest start date right now would be July the 10th. I, I just, I mean, if you can't do it by the first part of July, why even try? I mean, they're talking about a 48-game season. That's ridiculous. That's a farce. You can't do that. You got to play yeah, at least. You got to play at least eighty games. You could play eighty-one yeah. games. Eighty-one games would have some symbolism. It's one half of a major league season. You could expand the playoffs a little bit. There's what frustrates me about baseball is that as someone who loves the game, they have absolutely squandered an opportunity to be the only sport in town. They could be playing right yep. now. And if there, if there were little boys and girls all over the country, and I'm talking about little people, because, you know, people like me, I'm 50. They, they got me. They could miss two, three seasons and come back. And I could sit here and tell you I'm not going to watch, but I'm, I'm going to watch. I'll come back because it's it was such a part of my childhood. But, like, my son, who's 13, yeah. you go away for two years, he's never coming back. He's done. He doesn't, I know. He doesn't play I know. baseball. He plays other sports. He prefers basketball. He plays a lot of soccer. He gets to see lots of soccer on television and you all can make fun of soccer until you, until the cows come home, do whatever you want to do, but don't forget the huge crowds in Atlanta and the huge crowds in Nashville and the huge crowds in Cincinnati and the huge crowds in Louisville for MLS soccer games. And MLS is not very good soccer compared to Bundesliga and compared to uh, the English premier league and and the league in spain and and all of that so so just chill with the soccer bashing because you're really missing the point on soccer bashing when you think soccer can't replace baseball the hell it can't if baseball goes away for three years yes it can yes it can i mean no one's replacing the nfl and no one's replacing college football and 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 basketball is is very solid and the nba has carved out a very very big piece of the pie and they're going to hang on to it but don't think for a minute that Major League Baseball can just go away and come back with young people. And they had an opportunity to win over young people. They could have mic'd up the Ronald Acunas and the Anthony Rendones and the Chris Bryants and, and the Mookie Betts and the Francisco Lindors of the sport and let young people hear them during a game and kind of fall in love with them and become fans and pick a team and pick players. Such a waste. And now, in addition to that, they also had an opportunity to sort of solve some of their labor woes. The owners could have won the players over a little bit so that when this labor deal ends at the end of the 21 season, they could have said, hey, you know what? We, we did negotiate in good faith. Let's get this done. Let's do something right for the, for the good of the sport. Instead, it's going to be 
total acrimony. They're going. It, it, it's it is a couple going into divorce counseling who both absolutely hate and distrust one another, and the counselors look, looking at them saying, "There's I can't I can't fix this." Yeah, and and the the great irony of this is there wasn't a sport, not the NBA, not the NFL, only NASCAR really, and I guess golf that the actual nature of the sport made it the safest one to, to start back. You could have started that. I mean, in theory, I know they didn't want to for the image. I get that. But April or May, you could have safely started this back in hindsight. Yeah. If you had told me in March, hey, no Major League Baseball, I would have said, God, that virus, man, that thing got out of control if we can't play Major League Baseball. I cannot yeah. believe they may not play, and it has really nothing to do in the long run with COVID-19. It's all about greed. I mean, that is just – in this day and time, where I don't know the number, but my guess is 99% of Americans have had their pay affected by this in some way, Yeah, and, and, and you can't get on the same page, that, the image of that is just so striking to me. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It is public. The only, the, the, the only plus is, I guess, if they don't play the Nationals, are two years the World Series champion, right? They get to hold that for two years. <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you discount the Astros as a champion, the, That's true. the Astros and the Cubs are the last two champ. I mean, uh, the Nationals and the Cubs are the last That's two champs in baseball. Yeah, we're we're happy with that. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, uh, I kept you longer than than uh, we'd agreed to. I really appreciate the time very much. Hope you have a, a great rest of your week, and look forward to visiting with you soon. Absolutely, you too, Neil. It's always fun. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Our thanks to Ryan Brown for his time today on the Oxford Exxon Podcast. We'll get to Jeffrey Wright in a moment. First, let me tell you that this podcast is brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. Built as the Armor Steakhouse in 1906, this legendary Jackson landmark is a true icon of Mississippi's rich heritage. It's burned down twice, but it's risen from the ashes like never before. And with live music four times per week, it's the perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. They recently added the largest outdoor patio in Jackson along the Illinois Central Railroad where music left Mississippi to travel the world. So check out the Mississippi Music Experience Museum on the second floor of the restaurant and enjoy an evening or a lunch at the Iron Horse Grill. Make it part of your next stop in Jackson. It's located at 320 East Pearl Street. Dead Soxie is excited to celebrate Father's Day and has come to be expected they want to do it in style. So go to deadsoxy.com, check out the limited edition Father's Day bundles. Each bundle contains a men's dress sock, a kid's crew, and a no-show. The kid's crews typically fit sizes 4T to 3, so uh, don't miss this exciting opportunity to celebrate Father's Day in style. Secure one of the limited edition quantity bundles today. It's deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Check out the new limited edition Father's Day collection before they're gone. And as always, stay soxy. We're also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They represent clients in more than 20 states. They've got advisors in multiple states as well. They provide detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. Pinnacle Trust investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed, and financial plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. 
Uh, you can think about getting away after all this pandemic stuff. You want to get out. You want to take a vacation. There's lots of great deals out there. I highly suggest you get in touch with John. Give him some ideas. Give him some parameters. Give him a budget. Then sit back and let him give you options that you will not find on your own. And no, you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email. Edwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, look no further than Grenada Nissan. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. Tell Gene and Sandy and the people there at Grenada Nissan that you heard about Grenada Nissan on the podcast. You'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. OUB also gives its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa, and with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They've got a commercial checking account. It's now paying 1% interest. As long as you keep $10,000 in the account, it comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com. Or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or Ben, that's B-E-N, at Bluff City Advisory. Now back to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Here's Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 FM in Memphis. Jeffrey Wright joins. Appreciate the uh, the time, my man. Uh, we'll, I'm going to get to basketball in a minute. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday night. It's 8.01 p.m. I always do this now because the world changes so fast every five minutes. Uh, Good God. Here on the worst, the worst year in American history. Uh Major League Baseball and the the owners and the players, I can't remember who. I guess the players countered tonight 89 games prorated that came down from 114. It sounds like there's a deal to be done in the 80-game range, and there seems to be, even though everyone's saying all that nobody gets it stuff, there seems to be some optimism that a baseball deal gets done. If they get that close, they've got to do it, right? Okay, so... Spirit of full disclosure, one of my one of my fraternity brothers works at the Major League Baseball office in New York. And he grows frustrated because he thinks that the media is naturally inclined to just crap on baseball. And 
I told him, I was like, well, if you're always comparing yourself to the NBA, yes, the national media is a bunch of cheerleaders for the NBA. I told him that. I say that as someone that like, likes the NBA, likes their product, and loves, <laughs> loves baseball. With that being said, like, you can't act as if this is just unfair treatment because both of your sides are negotiating through the media. I've always felt like if they don't, if they don't get a deal done, they are – I mean, I, I, guess, I guess I always go hyperbolic with the statement of like, oh, it'll be just as bad as the strike. But I could get the sense that you've become more of a regional niche-type sport than ever. I don't understand why you would risk that. You can't risk it. it you got to get it done. You, 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 can't, you can't not have a season. You can't not have a season and then go into an offseason where the players say – Hey, we we thought we had a deal. You screwed us, and I know it's not that simple. But the players, right? The players are weird, you know, because they they, they have the owners. The owners can own a team forever, and the, the players get frustrated. Like the Cardinals owner came out today on a radio show and said, "You know, this isn't a very profitable business." And you're like, "Oh my god!" Well, then why? If it's not profitable, why are you afraid to open up your books? Yeah, open your books, and so the players say, "You, you, you don't." You don't want to show us your books, and yet now when you say you're losing money, you want us to share in the loss. And what we're telling you is no. And you go into the off season, and now the owners say, "Hey, we're we're not we're not going to spend money on free agency." It feels like collusion to the players, whether it is or isn't. And then you get to the end of the twenty one season, whatever that would look like, and I think it would be ugly. You get to the end of the twenty one season, and the labor agreement ends, and neither side is motivated. To, uh, to get to the bargaining table and you run the risk of doing the unthinkable and that's not having a season in 2022. And I'm telling you, man, in today's media market, with the way people's attention span is so short, I, I was telling Ryan Brown this earlier in the show, I don't think you can miss a year and expect to come back. I guess because we're in somewhat uncharted territories, maybe you can't make that statement. But, you know, fundamentally, I think I agree with you. I guess what never made sense to me, why did this all of a sudden become a labor dispute? And, like, that's what never really made sense to me. Like, just I, it felt as if this went from being, okay – we have an opportunity to be the first one back and, and that was going to be great for baseball. They were going to have the opportunity to actually oh. you know, build and grow upon something. And then all of a sudden it just turned and it became a labor dispute. Such a wasted opportunity. The, the two sides hate each other. They've hated each other for the longest time. They, they look at uh, what happened with George Springer, with the Astros, with Chris Bryant, with, with the Cubs. There are other players as well. They, they say, hey, the owners take advantage of the loopholes. Here's the, the the bottom line, though, is that the Players Association has been poorly represented for the longest time, and the owners kicked their ass at the bargaining table, got a great deal, sound like Trump, got a great deal, and took advantage of the great deal. Of course the Astros manipulated George Springer's service time. Of course the Cubs manipulated Chris Bryant's service time. But the Players Association agreed to language that allowed them to do it. I guess this is what's always confused me, and maybe you can shed some light. The thing that's never made sense to me from the players' perspective is they are 
you know, this goes back as long as I can remember, and I'm going to go out on a limb and guess as long as you can remember, because baseball players have always just been like this. I do not understand the concept of wanting to avoid revenue sharing to avoid a salary cap because that could limit what you, a major league baseball player, can make. It's like, okay, I get that if I'm Mike Trout, you know, if I'm, or, you know, but I find it very hard to believe, and I think this goes to your point about the players' organization, the players' association being poorly run. I imagine if you crunch the numbers and they had a salary cap, I would imagine the league minimum, which is what most of that league plays on, I bet the league minimum would be higher. It would. It would go up. And it's never made sense to me. Like I understand the distrust and – I also understand from the owner's perspective, they're probably seeing, you know, uh, um, there's not probably a ton of overlap between baseball owners and NBA owners, but there may be a, a few here and there. But I'm sure all those owners look at, well, the NBA has a salary cap the with revenue sharing. The NFL has a salary cap with revenue sharing. The NHL does. We're the only league that doesn't. It would help our league in general. When in reality, what they're saying is we want someone to help cover the losses. I mean, that's not that's not breaking news. I'm not acting as if they're negotiating from a, an altruistic position. But it's never made sense to me why the masses in the Players Association negotiates from a position that n- the overwhelming majority will never, ever be a part of. Yeah. Like, at least... Like take for instance in in government, I can I can hold the views economically that may not work to my benefit today, but I hold those views because the idea is when I have the opportunity to earn that money, I I would like to I'd like to benefit. I just don't understand when you have a league that that's made up of so many players on you know either veteran minimums or you know those types of minimum deals it's never made sense to me why they're so like it's just like a blind statement of we are never going to agree to this it's why when trevor bauer took a shot at scott boris i thought he's right you can think what you want to think of bauer but he's right boris has so much influence over the union and he represents you know a lot of guys that are going to make a fortune no matter what blake snell's going to make a fortune no matter what Chris Bryant's going to make a fortune no matter what. Uh, the the list of his clients goes on and on. But like you said, there's, I mean, for every uh, Paul Goldschmidt on the Cardinals, there's 20 guys who, who will never make anything resembling what Goldschmidt makes. And and those guys are the ones that are losing money hand over fist right now. We're, there's no place for them to go replace that money. And... And maybe maybe the the simple answer is it goes to the fundamental point that you've that you've made, which is they're just poorly run. Because if if I if my job is to get the best deal for the largest portion of my players, which is what you would think the person representing the players' union is, it's never made sense to me why you are essentially like it. The, I, to your point, like it almost seems as if the interests of Scott Boris are being protected because Scott Boris is like, yeah. 
Yeah. And I get it, like the idea of maybe players that are, you know, loyal to him because he gets, you know, he's gotten those kinds of deals, but it, it's just never made sense to me why the the lion's share of the league takes this, you know, entrenched stance because financially it doesn't make sense to me. It, because it doesn't. Um, a league that kind of gets it as it pertains to labored stuff and, and that kind of thing. Is, hey, hey, and they'll be the first to tell you. Yeah, but they do. They get they screwed up the China-Hong okay, Kong but, thing. Okay, but, okay let's, but let's discuss this, Neil. Okay. Since, since the year 1999, this league that is so, so player first, they've had two labor stoppages. That's true. So, but they kind of, but they, but they, they were able to carry on, and no one even remembers them. And I'll tell you why: they never missed a postseason. What killed baseball was in '94 canceling of the World Series. They didn't finish the season. I guess though, look, play this scenario out. I mean, it's a hypothetical, but that's what we do on the show. If, or if, just to if, finish the point, if if the '94 season had been altered at the beginning, yeah, and you'd played that season to its fruition and played a World Series, they wouldn't have lost all the momentum that they lost. Momentum that they only partially gained back when the Sosa McGuire thing happened in '98. Sports never fully recovered. I guess this is my bigger question, though. Let's say, let's say they have a labor dispute in 94, and it happens in the time you're talking about. And, you know, it becomes a 120-game season. Yeah. Because uh, they, they missed roughly, what, 40 games at the end of the season and in the postseason, I think. That's missed like 40 to 45 games in the postseason, yeah. So let's say let's play, they play a 120-game season. They play their postseason the way that it, that it should be. I still think that baseball was trending in the wrong direction, and I say that as someone who... It was, like, but they put the uh, accelerator on it. They did, but at the same time, it's like football was becoming a machine. There were several factors. Like, you look at it, it's not just, it's not just uh, the NFL, you know, having a day, playing in the fall. You know, it's the easiest sport to gamble on. It was the easiest sport to play fantasy football on, sure. fantasy sports on. It had all of these factors working in its favor. I will say this, and in 1994, in 1994, know, fantasy, baseball. fantasy baseball was bigger than fantasy football. I just look at, I think part of the strength of the growing of football, I think too much credit gets gets given to the demise, if you will, of baseball. And it, we sit there and say, I'm saying demise as much as you can about a sport that makes $10.5 billion annually. It's still the number two sport, no matter what every NBA cheerleader, excuse me, media member tells you. It's still the number two sport in the United States of America. Well, I guess it depends on how you count college football. But of the professional sports, it's still financially the number two sport. So I, I just look at so much of, so much of everything was headed to short attention span, and that's kind of what football appeals to. I, I, I just have serious questions of where baseball would be without the strike, and I'm not. Sh- I think it probably looks different a little bit, but I'm not sure. It, 
Because in the end, part of the problem is baseball doesn't do well of governing itself. And you look at, okay, let's say it wasn't that labor dispute. Well, then it was going to be steroids. Or it was going to, you know what I mean? Like there was always going to be something, and they were always going to shoot themselves in the foot because that's what they do. Yeah, ESPN starting this series, a documentary on Sunday night about Maguire and Sosa in the 98 season where they both, I guess Maguire hit 70 and Sosa hit 66, and and they both, they, they... Captiva- I can tell you. Uh, I can tell you. McGuire hit seventy, and so hit sixty. Yeah, they captivated the sport for the better part of a year. Uh, it was. I mean, just the Cardinals coming out on top, like they always do. <laughs> it was a great summer, though. It was. It was I, I remember. It, it, was, it was awesome. It was must-watch television. I mean, every time McGuire would hit one, you'd you'd look over to see if Sosa hit one, and, and Griffey was involved in that, and and uh, and Bonds had a great season, and and baseball was was great, and and. And baseball's done the thing where, oh, you know, no, we can we can never honor those guys. And I mean, so, Sammy Sosa was on Chicago radio today on David Kaplan's show, and you know, wait, was he speaking English or did, did he still forget? <laughs> I think yeah, I think he was speaking English. But I don't, I don't know, it? I don't know why the sport can't forgive those guys. Just forgive them. I mean, they they, they saved the game in many ways. Because baseball is the. This isn't even me taking a shot at baseball writers, which is easy to do. Oh, baseball, so easy. I mean, Neil, you and I knew what our batting averages were. We knew how many hits we like, – you know what I mean? Like, baseball is a numbers game. And I, I understand – like, it's the same thing. When Roger Maris and – when Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle are going for the home run record, they have to have a freaking asterisk next to it because they played eight more games than the Babe. Like, it's this weird sport where – Records are held sacred, and if you do anything to tarnish that record, despite the fact that, you know, uh, okay, we have these guys juicing, but what about the billion of double-A players that were juicing? What about the pitchers that were juicing? First off, the sport was much more fun. It was. Like, at least the one kind of solace I had as I was watching one of my favorite games just deteriorate with – from the major league level, I told myself, hey, if we get a second steroid era out of this where everyone just kind of turns a blind eye and, and just tries to have some fun again, uh, you know what, maybe in the end it's a net positive. I'm not sure you're wrong. I mean, like Clemens, when he pitched, was must-watch television. There's no pitcher now that's must-watch television, and frankly, the pitchers are better now. Okay, so here's my question, though. Is that is that because of... I wonder, though, if no pitcher is must-watch now because, like, for instance, things that were sacred. 100 miles an hour. Not everybody throws it. Yeah. And on top, what about uh, what about this? Uh, my dad used to represent Oberto Beef Jerky, and Oberto's based out of Seattle. And so I was in second grade, and we were sitting three, three rows behind home plate, and I watched Randy Johnson strike out 19. That was back when, like, striking out, like, it was just the ultimate overpowering. It was, yeah. And now, because everyone's dropping and driving and everything's based upon, you know, all or nothing swings, like, it's completely – I think part of what has hurt baseball more than anything is, you know, sabermetrics to the extent not of, oh, the nerds are killing the game, but it's to the extent that everyone plays the game the same way. It's much of what I – 
what I dislike about the NBA in terms of the, the, the way everyone's playing, everyone's playing some version of the same game. The thing that used to make... Because they're all studying football, the same analytics now. Exactly. And everything says a 17-foot two is stupid. And everything tells everyone in baseball says, hey, stolen bases are highly inefficient. Hey, a guy that hits for average but doesn't drive the ball for extra base hits, that does you nothing. And everyone's looking at the same thing. And so everyone's playing the same version of the same game. Like, stolen bases are fun. Guys that guys that could control the bat, it was fun. Yeah. Like, strategy was fun. Now, Ricky now Henderson was fun. Yes. Yeah. Barry Bonds. Like, that's the other thing about Barry Bonds that drove me insane because I had the same argument. We had a we were doing uh, best records in sports, and just I just read off you know Barry Bonds had a hundred and twenty two intentional walk season. The next two closest numbers on that list were sixty two and sixty one walks in a, intentional walks in a season, both issued to Barry Bonds. Wow! But then you like you look at like the numbers of his career. He was a a stolen base guy. He's one of the best defensive outfielders that's ever existed. Yep. Hit for average, hit for power. Like he was, he was on pa- He was on track to be arguably one of the five greatest baseball players that ever lived, if not just in terms of all round baseball players. And because he got so bitter that Sosa McGuire captivated yep. the nation during yep. that home run thing, yep. he, you know, he goes and decides I'm going to do that. And to to his everlasting credit. He decided, I'm going to start juicing, and I'm going to beat these guys. And guess what, Neil? He did. He did. Yeah. I would tip my cap to him. Like That says like how great of a baseball player he was. Yeah, the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame is – it's really sort of – you can make the argument, certainly, that McGuire doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, that he wasn't a Hall of Fame player. Sure. As a Cubs fan who watched Sosa's career, I can tell you I don't think he was a Hall of Fame player. Roger Clemens was, though. Yeah, and Bonds was. My God. I mean, Bonds. I mean, I hate to say it. Ole Miss fans, turn your ears off. Palmero probably was. He's the interesting one because I I compare him to Mark Grace a lot because their games were similar. And so you wonder what Grace's stats, and this isn't a Cub thing. The Cubs had both of them and traded Palmero because he was sleeping with Ryan Sandberg's wife. And, what? No, come on. And and also because there was an overlap there and they went with Grace because they thought Grace was probably a better hitter and he very well may have been, you'll, we'll never know, if Grace had juiced how many of those doubles that he hit, I think he hit more doubles than anybody else in the 90s, how many of those doubles become home runs? Uh, who knows? I mean, we'll never know. Uh, all right, I, I don't want to keep you forever. I'm curious. Wait, wait, the last thing, the last thing yeah. on this. Why do we have to treat Barry Bonds like Brady Anderson? Like Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame baseball player. Yeah. Brady uh, Anderson was the guy that juiced and got a contract. Like, yeah, that's more than fair. Some, yeah, it's more than fair. Some discretion. It's more than fair. I agree completely. I mean, again, I don't know if I have to treat Barry Bonds like Sosa McGuire. Yes. Um. All right. Basketball. The the, the NBA is going to start back on July the thirty first. They're going to play eight games. Uh, I think the Grizzlies are going to make the playoffs. Is it? As weird as it is, is it some degree advantage teams like advantage Memphis because the Lakers are, are going to be rusty? I think it's an advantage for the Grizzlies from this perspective. You're the one that always told me about always, you know, when when talking about and thinking about how a, a game, a season's going to go, always think about who has multiple ways, you know, if it's a football game. 
if everything goes right, you know, you start doing the if, if, if. Yes, obviously the underdog can win this game, but the reason why the team is favored is because they have more paths to winning. If you look at it from the Grizzlies' perspective, at the time that the, that the league stopped, if you looked at the most favorable forecast, the Grizzlies had a, roughly, at best, a 50-50 chance. Some even gave them as, as poor as a 25% chance. Now, I would also point out those projections more or less had, had, had doubted the Grizzlies all season. They had met those, exceeded those expectations all year. But you look at now, almost all the Vegas odds give Grizzly, the Grizzlies somewhere between a 62 and a 65% chance because they now get multiple shots. They have a three-and-a-half game lead. At, on February 1, they had a four-game lead in 17 games, which included a five-game losing streak when the Grizzlies looked like, like they should be playing in the G League when Jaron Jackson got hurt, but Brandon Clark got hurt, like all, all those things. You know, The Grizzlies have stayed healthy for most of the year. Uh, it's just very difficult to make up that kind of lead. And so now teams have to make up that kind of lead. And then on top of that, the Grizzlies still get their presumably the most likely scenario is the Grizzlies are going to wind up playing in the play-in tournament or whatever they're calling it. It's not a tournament if they're two teams, but they're going to play in the play-in and they're going to be the number eight team and they're only going to have to win one game and the other team's going to have to win two. So, they have created more ways for them to get in. On top of that, one of the advantages that the teams that were chasing them had was they had a softer schedule. Well, now that schedule's got that it's not going to be nearly as soft because you're going to have to play one of those 22 teams there, and no one's getting home court advantage. The Grizzlies don't have to go on the road as much as they were going to during the final 17. And so maybe your schedule isn't that much softer. But those behind you and those who are chasing you, their schedule is getting more difficult, and they have to catch you. And so, in general, I think I think it works out for the Grizzlies pretty well. Yeah, I do too. I I have the sense that one of the younger teams is going to knock off one of the older teams early in the. I mean, I don't think I don't think like the the Grizzlies or. I don't even know. I need to pull it up in the East and look at it. The Grizzlies are one of those teams that come to mind. Uh, the Jazz, the Thunder. I got a feeling they're going to pull off an upset early in the in the deal. That one of the older teams, the Lakers, the the Clippers, the Rockets. One of those teams that might take a little while to get going. That they get knocked off early. I don't think they win a get to the NBA Finals or anything like that. But I do think the scenario opens up for more drama in in the first round of the playoffs. The only thing that bothers me about it and I'm 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 a broken record at this point. If you can have hundreds of thousands of people at Disney World and at Universal Studios and at what is it Epcot and Animal Kingdom and I don't know, you're more of a Disney person than I am. If uh, you nailed you nailed two. If you can do that, why can't you have 10,000 people at a arena to watch a basketball game? I think because the NBA didn't want to be the first team, the first league to do it. I think that's I think that's the answer. And you know, we can judge it all we want. I I kind of understand it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I get it. But like, but by then they won't. Will, but but by then like they won't be. Let's say let's say Major League Baseball reaches a deal and they open the season on July the fifteenth. It's realistic. And the Rangers let fifty let fifty percent stadium come in. And the Astros let 50% of the stadium come in. And the Braves say, out of hell with it, come in. 
The NBA could go, hey, well, they've done it. I just think it's similar to like you and I. I mean, uh, you know me. I don't really have a healthy fear of anything other than needles. And I, I kind of view it the same way I view going to restaurants now. Like, I'm not – if you tell me you go and eat at a restaurant, like, I don't sit there and go, how dare you? Like, I don't, I don't look at you like that. But at the same time, it's like, I kind of want to let everyone else go in first, and then, uh, you know, when, when it's clear nothing's going to happen, then I'll, then I'll go in. Like, I yeah. do kind of understand that line of thinking. I do, too. I do, too. I just I have a feeling that if you opened it up that a lot of people would show up, and if they did – I, mean, you know, I think I think in the end it all comes down to the same thing that you you've discussed on your show about why media won't probably be allowed in and whatnot. In the end, it's you're trying to minimize risk. I mean, you know what I mean. All right, last thing I know you and Jeff and you and Genato have talked about all this stuff a lot there. Last time we talked to you, it's been a little while. What do you what do you your thoughts on college football? Uh, fans in the stands, season starting on time more optimistic less optimistic than you were three weeks ago i think i'm more optimistic and you know uh, for everyone that that filleted me on on twitter when i was on your show i did always say this you can back me up you can check the tape i felt when you looked at a timeline a vaccine was never going to be possible i always believed what would end this because I didn't think of vaccines are difficult. Like it's very difficult to make them. And that timeline was never going to add up. The return to normalcy was going to be, when did, when did we understand that there's a risk for going outside? There's a risk of going in public. When did we, when did we get to the point where it was normalized for us in everyday living and understanding like, okay, this is out there. I I know the risk, but it's, you know, I use the, I use the metaphor. It's like driving without your seatbelt. The odds are you're probably going to make it to your destination safely, but if you don't, like you could pay the price. And what, what seems to be more and more obvious to me by the day is the lion's share of America is, is kind of over this. Yeah. And I, no I never, I never took a moralistic stance. I, I just look at, I, I forget. You can tell me the specific numbers. I know Alabama had five players test positive. Uh, I think Ole Miss had three, if I recall. Uh, no, Ole Miss had uh, one on campus, apparently one off campus, and then a athletic staffer. Okay, and so, but like, for instance, let's just take Alabama for instance. Yeah. Where was you know they had five? I think it was five members of the team. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. Can you point me to them? I must have missed them over the weekend. Where were the outrage stories? Where was the grandstanding? Where was the, where was the just the self righteous stories about, uh, you know what? If, God forbid, Neil. What, what if those were offensive linemen? I mean, you know, linemen are fat. <laughs> and and there uh, was some of that, not specifically with them, but there was there was there was a lot of a lot of Twitter stuff, not really stories. A lot of Twitter stuff every time somebody would – Arkansas State had seven positives, and it was, oh, man, nope, nope, this is terrible. And it's like, no, it's not. They're all asymptomatic. They're, now they're going to get quarantined. In two weeks, they're going to test negative. Presumably, you'll have some other guys over the course of a year. They're going to test positive, depending on how they do the test. 
Um, football aged player, football aged players aren't dying, fat or otherwise. No, and and you just look at it, and you know, to me, it's all about. It's not hard. Like you have to read the room, and now, I think what's really amazing to me is the last two weeks have proven to me is, and I think I've probably always known this fundamentally, but. It is amazing how we as Americans cannot focus on more than one thing at a time. Like, it's like, and, and I get it. Like, I understand, like, okay, well, the, the COVID stuff have been going on for months and people were tired of it. But it's like, as soon as the next thing came up, it's like, well, we're done with that. Like, yeah, that's on. over. I'm hand-raised guy. I'm hand-raised guy going, hey, um, I'm kind of curious. Are we going to go back to talking about that? Because I've got a lot of questions now. And I think well, I know. I think I know one like, of the big answers. By the way, well, I, mean, I think we both do. But remember, remember in in school, whether it was college or remember that that week before exams where you had review week. Like, are we just going to go back to it in review week? Is that going to be like August first? Is that <laughs> review week where like, okay, we'll go back, we'll, we'll go back, we'll check, we'll check on it then, and and we'll all kind of remember like, oh yeah, that, there's some. I forgot. Now I got to work up some outrage for that, but I, it. I just think historically it just shows, God, we have a short attention span. <laughs> we do. And then there's media that are so idealistic and they're so political and they can't really help themselves. I don't, here's the thing about them. I want to like really get after them, but I know some of them and they're nice people. They're, I know some of them that are not nice people. Yeah. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Some of them are just so idealistic and full of themselves and full of just stuff that they can't there's no practicality self self-important self yeah they're not pragmatic and it's why someone like me i mean i'm gonna toot my own horn here i never got to the high levels of media but i made more money than all those guys uh significantly more and so it's you know I. in fact you probably made more this year than they made the last decade <laughs> so i it's it's one of those things i don't i don't I get it. I, I I understand the difference, and I I've had people tell me communicate it, and I'm like, I really don't know how to do it without either being a total ass, which I don't really want to do, or getting super political. And that's the thing is, I'm not super political. You know this. You know me well. I'm not super political. I I don't. I mean, the irony is neither one of us are. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like one of these guys. People are. Going, but, okay, to, here, but here's how I would phrase it to prove your point. Neither one of us are all that political. Yet, when you put us in the field, everyone's going to sort us to the right. Oh, no and doubt. And pretty far to the right. And this is what I told Giannato. It's like, anytime someone tries to tell me that the media and the sports media is not to the left, I always say, name the people in the business that you know are Republicans. Not that you are suspect are Republicans, but that you know are Republicans and you have to know them. They cannot be yeah. they cannot be television figures that you that you know. I'm talking about people in the field. I go name them. And then in, inevitably like one or two names comes up and I go, "Okay, now do the same thing for Democrats." And it's like, Tons. "Okay, we're going to be here." Like, yeah, we're going to be here a while. Yeah, we're going to be here a while. And like that's always just been my position. It's okay, you can't you can't if we're going to have this discussion, like there has to be some form of acceptance of a baseline. Like you can't act as if you're coming in as an objective observer when it's not the case. Yeah, no doubt. 
Hey, kept you long enough. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Be good. Bye. Again, our thanks to Jeffrey for his time today on the podcast, Ryan Brown of WJOX in Birmingham as well. That does it for this edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. We'll be back on Thursday night with our uh, weekly live show. We'll uh, have a YouTube stream. We'll put up all those uh, links and everything for you. We'll have football coverage later today, football recruiting, I anticipate, as well, coverage of the Major League Baseball draft as it pertains to Ole Miss, and then whatever else might come up between now and Thursday night. Thank you for joining us. Thanks again to Jeffrey Wright, to Ryan Brown for their time. Until next time, take care.